0: The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts,
1: Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Alex, happy birthday. Thanks, Rob. As we kick off episode 63 for the week of April 16th, 2018, we do celebrate your birth in the year, what was it, Nineteen fifty. Uh, about that time. You're yeah, you're a little bit off. Give or take. Give okay. or take a couple. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, happy birthday. We're, we're glad to get to celebrate with you. I obviously we're wearing party hats and um, and you know putting away all. Uh, and we've been
0: drinking a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Um, moving on to uh, maybe talking about some podcasty
0: yeah. type stuff.
1: Why don't we start off by thanking our Patreon?
0: Yeah. So uh, we have a Patreon page. You can go out there and uh, help support us. Uh, thanks to all those folks that have done that already. Uh, that money is going towards our ongoing expenses for producing the podcast, so we really appreciate that.
1: And kind of some other housekeeping stuff, we have a Slack channel. Uh, we actually just, this last week, started a new channel that's about kids or youth programming and, and trying to come, come up with solutions for how do we solve the talent gap by starting earlier, you know, getting kids in high school or maybe even younger involved with security and showing kind of the way to get there.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited that people were, were interested in getting that started. Yeah. and it uh, should be a lot of fun and as, as a reminder we do have a mailing list for the show each
1: week if you if you sign up on the website um we'll give the show notes into your inbox and a little link to download
0: the show if you want it um it's a nice way to get the articles delivered to you and of course please sign up on itunes or google play or your favorite podcasting service and when you do, please go out and rate us, because we would love to have that that rating out there. Awesome. Let's go ahead and jump into the
1: stories. Number one, uh, we are firmly in the top three for best cities to live in
0: in the United States. Yes, congratulations, Colorado. Uh, Colorado Springs was number two, and Denver was number three. And uh, Colorado Springs was number two with a, with a
1: rocket. They, were number, they had been 10 last year. They yeah. really climbed up the charts this year. Um, I, I guess really popular among uh, people.
0: Yeah, people like Colorado Springs. It's uh, beautiful down there.
1: So it's, it's U.S. News and World Report, and, and they had this, this uh, survey based on a few criteria. Um, the value of living there, which is, includes stuff like home ownership versus renting, cost of living, quality of life, job market health, people um, moving into the state. Are they, are they leaving? Are they moving in? Anyway, uh, Colorado Springs, number two, Denver, number three, and our dreaded uh, foe, our arch nemesis, Austin, took the, the number, number one, one. spot. Yeah. Damn Austin. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty consistent that, that they're uh, they're right there with us neck and neck and, and again, have, have beaten us.
0: I do have to say, um, we are better at most things, but they do have pretty good barbecue down there.
1: They have pretty good barbecue, yeah. And, and it's much hotter. So they got that going for them, too.
0: That, too. Uh, next, uh, Colorado Legislative Tech Caucus uh, has been looking into big, uh, <laughs> blockchain technologies. I wanted to say Bitcoin. Yeah, we, we've talked about this a couple other times on the show.
1: There's a couple of bills that are out there around um, asking or requiring the government to look at how blockchain can solve some problems. Um, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> it, is it, crazy. It's, it's not crazy that you could use blockchain to solve problems. It's crazy that you would make a law that says you must use blockchain to solve
0: some problems. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the verbiage in there has been softened a little bit to say um, that, you know they should uh, they should encourage the use of blockchain which is even still a little bit crazy, considering how uh, how early on blockchain is. I, I like the sentiment that they want to improve the the security of our information, but maybe that's not the best way to do it. Um, there's also a second bill that is out there that is uh, working to define what cryptocurrency is and, and regulating cryptocurrency in Colorado. So
1: uh, I just say I give my, my little diatribe on on blockchain. Blockchain is the first implementation of. The distributed ledger technology that's had some mass um, adoption. You know, distributed ledger is a great idea. You get you know consent and uh, consent management of, with a, a non-centralized model makes a lot of sense. Blockchain has a lot of flaws. Obviously, a couple you know two of the big ones: energy consumption. You know, it's taking more energy to fuel our, our blockchain infrastructure than it does for many countries, including. Denmark. I think that was the famous one. Uh, and it also is just notoriously slow. The number of transactions you can do per second is a real bottleneck problem. I think something's going to come along behind blockchain, but uh, I think that asking someone to actually use blockchain specifically
0: is kind of asking for trouble. With that, let's move on. I would agree. Uh, next, uh, Colorado is among the states engaged in the Cyber Storm exercise to talk about uh, election day threats. So I can
1: only assume that means computers are raining from the sky. That's yes, what that means? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Also, thunder and lightning. uh, So, obviously, it's great that we're starting to do some tabletop and and more than just tabletop exercises around what election security looks like. Um, It might have been nice to have done this a few years ago, but, you know, we'll take what we can
0: get here. Well, and I I think that this is uh, an ongoing competition, things that have happened in the past. Uh, Also, we talked about the story previously that uh, I think Colorado had a a Mm B-plus in election security, so we're not doing too bad. Yeah. Uh, but they are competing with a thousand other entities uh, to, to look at this competition and, and get their security better around elections. Well, go Colorado. Uh, we're all pulling for you here. Uh,
1: moving along, there is a survey that was released this week by Logarithm. Uh, it's their benchmark survey talking about kind of industry perceptions and data. Uh, the link is in the show notes to get the survey. There's a couple of interesting things I wanted to pull out. Number one, I'll say it's just neat to get this kind of uh, perspective on what, is, what industry leaders think. A um, couple of interesting things to pull out here. Number one, um, less than half of organizations were able to detect a major incident within an hour. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's surprising, but it's kind of a, a nice baseline to understand that you know some were just less than fifty percent uh, thought they could find it in, in uh, less than an hour. And the second interesting thing was um, that organizations, excuse me, uh, on average, companies employ 12 security professionals. However, more than half of the uh, respondents said that they employ 10 or fewer. So there's obviously some that are have much larger numbers that are pulling up the average right. to get up to 12.
0: Yeah, I, I would su- say it's surprising to me that we're even that high in terms of an average. Yeah, and uh, obviously, we, we didn't really go into
1: the methodology on this, but obviously, we're not talking about all companies, right? There must be a, a cutoff to say we're only talking about companies over a certain size. Because if you start talking about the flower shop and the gas station, you know, it, it just... Would skew the numbers too much,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, next story we have uh GTRI, which is a, a local uh, reseller here and service provider. They have changed their name to Zavaro. Zavaro. Uh, so, at first, we said, Why would they do this? Seems sort of silly,
1: but, but we understand they were purchased by a company last year, and the name of that is Zavaro Holdings. Hey. Yeah.
0: Strangely, they have then changed their name to Zavaro. And
1: Zavaro uh, Holdings, I believe, is owned by a masked man from Mexico named Zavaro. Uh, if, if that's not true, i maybe he has someone to, to to show some kind of evidence of that. Uh, well, that congratulations, Zavaro and and uh, GTRI folks, uh, Aaron Simmons, our, our friend the CISO over there. Um, happy for you that you have a new business cards. That's going to be good. Uh, moving along, we have a, a press release from Secure Sixty Four. They are the Secure DNS appliance that is headquartered in Greenwood Village or Fort Collins, depending on what, what you believe. Um, and they, this week, announced that they have come up with a new service that, called Tunnel Guard, which detects and blocks DNS t- tunnels. Uh, first thing that we thought is, what do you think first? This sounds like a great feature. Yeah, it sounds like a great feature. Uh, I, I thought the same thing. Something you might embed into a firewall, but but as you dive a little bit deeper into the press release, uh, it looks like they're really targeting you know big telecoms and um, big providers, where you know having this as a, a feature in a you know in a UTM just doesn't make any sense, right? They're they're really offering a new service at massive enterprise scale. Um,
0: so anyway, it sounds like a good thing. I, I don't know much about it, but yeah, good news. Good for Secure Sixty Four. Uh, next, AutoMox had a blog talking about real-time patch management. So yeah. you talked to the founder of AutoMox yeah. last week, right? Uh, Jay Prassel last week was yeah. on uh, our feature interview, and so this is talking about uh, how they do patch management differently, um, less time-consuming, more automation. So if you didn't get enough details
1: about what, what their you know, vision for patch management looked like last year in the sh- uh, last week in the show. This is your chance to read an article and learn some more about Automox. Exactly. Your local patch management company. Uh, next story, we have a blog by Optiv about who is the data protection officer. So, if you guys don't know what a DPO is, hopefully that means that you don't have to be GDPR compliant. Um, if you don't know what it is and you do need to be GDPR compliant, you should go talk to your DPO about what a DPO is, or, or your legal counsel or somebody because you're yeah. going to be in big trouble. So, this is just a nice, it's a little white paper you can download from Optiv. That kind of explains the position, um, kind of gives gives some uh, nuanced d- d- descriptions about what they're supposed to do and who it should be. Uh, anyway, interesting. Responsibilities, yeah. all that kind of stuff.
0: So it looks interesting. I recommend you guys take a look at it. Yep. And then our final news story for this week, uh, Direct Defense had a blog talking about what is in your security wallet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have used the, the term wallet, but uh, they're, they're really talking about uh, security tools that you might have with you on a... You know, a Go bag or a I think they say a jump drive or something like that. Um, a really great blog post about uh, some great resources.
1: Yeah, so it started off talking about those kind of tools like you mentioned um, that might be in a, a Go bag, but they actually go into some stuff that that isn't really something you have, right? They start off by talking about tools like you know having Sys internals, um, having Wireshark. You know, those are some technologies. You know, Cali, uh, but then they get into some resources you might want to use, um, NIST as a resource, the S- the Center for Internet Security. Um, OWASP, where you go do some research online, um, good resources there. Uh, and then kind of a whole different perspective where they're just giving some tips on how to get into the industry, You know, build, how to build a home training lab, um, how, you know, how to download virtualization software and use that to do your training.
0: There's a lot of really good tips in here. Yeah, a list of great books to read and other things like that too. Yeah,
1: so I, I think as I read this, I'd say number one, you know, anyone who's new to the industry, this would be a really good resource for you to, to, to start to get your arms around what all is out there. And anyone who's been in the for a little while, it, it'd be good to kind of, you know, check your own resources up against this and see if there's something uh, you, you're not using that you could be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that takes us to the end of the news. So now it is time for our Slack message of the week. Slack message of the week. Thanks to Andre Gata for sponsoring the Slack message of the week contest. I feel like we need to to get some music that plays when we talk about Slack message of the week. Maybe there will be music by the time we release this episode. Cha-ching or something. Slack Slack message of
2: the the the
1: week. Maybe they just heard it and you don't even know they heard it. Ooh, that's deep. Uh, so, looking looking at the uh, Slack messages of the week this week, we want to say congratulations to Jade. Jade pointed out on the on the general channel um, that ISC Squared's CPE um, entry process has become really difficult.
0: Yeah. So, I would uh, I'd like to say that it, it used to really suck. It was bad. Yeah. And apparently now it sucks even more. So. It's, yeah, it sucks more, and you get errors now when you have to do your CPE. race. Right. Uh, they apparently just moved to a new system and. Um, not only is it hard, but they're experiencing uh, some problems in getting the system to work. So rather than time. specifically calling out a, a, a comment she made, I just want to talk, she
1: started this great conversation um, where where we, we, we found out that there, for some types of CPEs at least, there's a requirement that you have to write a 250 word description of the event.
0: Yeah, that, that seems like a lot of overhead.
1: Yeah, that's going to be challenging.
0: Uh, it makes me not want to renew. Yeah, <laughs> it sure does. All right, anyway, congratulations
1: to Jade. You will get one of the items from the Colorado Equal Security Store, and thanks to Andre for supporting uh, our, our competition. Thanks, Andre. Let's go ahead and move on to events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar on the website. Uh, we're going out, I was just talking to Alex before, we've, we've really filled out the calendar here over the next several months. Um, uh, really, uh, SecureSet just put a bunch of stuff on the calendar. So take a look at what's going on out there through really through the end of June is, is really well filled out.
0: Uh, so the first event is issa colorado springs they're having their april meetings on april 17th and 18th on the 19th SecureSet has one of their career conversations with kevin ford from CyberGRX. Uh, also on the 19th isaka is having their uh, annual meeting so this is their annual general membership meeting go in
1: there and get some delicious treats i assume they'll have a cake or a cupcake or uh, maybe not i don't know but they've always done a pretty good job before Uh, On the 24th, we are celebrating one year of women in security in Denver. So congratulations to that group. Um, You don't have to be a woman to come. You just have to appreciate that women are awesome. Uh, Also on the 24th, uh, CSA is having their April meeting. Uh, On the 25th, the GDPR meetup is meeting, and they're talking about Article 32 and the Elastic Stack. You don't know what Article 32 is? Well, either pick up GDPR and read it, or just go to this meeting. It comes after Article 31. Uh, next, Densec is having their monthly meetup meet also on the 25th. And that's they moved that downtown a couple months ago. They also had to move this off by one week because uh, they had previously had it scheduled over RSA Conference, and nobody wants to have an event scheduled over RSA Conference. Uh, the 27th, SecureSet has one of their Capture the Flag events. If you have not done a Capture the Flag, that's not a problem. Show up an hour early at 5 p.m., and they'll teach you how to do it, and you can contribute to the real
0: one at 6 o'clock. Sweet. And then finally, uh, on the 28th of April, ISSA Colorado Springs is having one of their mini seminars. That's awesome. Hey, you know, there's a couple of big events
1: coming up in town uh, in May, right? What, what's going on? You know, on? I hadn't heard. What, what events are you talking about, Rob? Well, let's look this up. It's the the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. That does look interesting. Uh, now, I, I hear a couple of interesting things happening. with. Uh, Colorado's biggest conference, where we expect to just blow the numbers off of uh, everything we've done in the past. A couple of interesting things happening. Number one, there is going to be a security-focused escape room this year.
0: Yeah, so there's a company called uh, Living Security, and they're coming to do their escape room as part of the conference. So this is uh, security awareness training, and they're uh, they're demonstrating this for everyone. So when you register for the conference, you can also register to, uh, to do one of the, uh, the sessions with them. They can only do, I think, 10 or 12 participants per hour. So make sure you register for that. Um, if, if you've done an escape room before, it is a lot of fun. This is a security focus, it yeah. should be a good time. Uh, what about any other pre-conference trainings? Did we, did we do anything we want to talk about there specifically? You want those out? So uh, there is a great uh, auditing uh, track we have, uh, auditing cybersecurity. So this is the the same course that is being offered at the ISACA International Conference where you have to pay $1,000 or something like that to take it, Uh, but you can come and have this essentially uh, for 25% of the cost. Uh, Great trainer, great content, auditing cybersecurity. There's a couple other ones, obviously, the the Atomic Red team,
1: which we talked about with Casey Smith on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, We've also got a cryptocurrencies uh, talk that's actually being put on by SecureSet. Uh, and I believe there's one, uh, There's also a cloud security training by, by <coughs> Mohamed um, M- Malki, and, and Mohamed is of course one of the uh, board members for OWASP here in town, um, and it should be, oh, sorry, uh, CSA, Cloud Security Alliance, yep. uh, and, and that should be an interesting talk as well. Yep, should be great. Did I miss one? Oh, I did. I missed one that we, we both care about, right? Yeah. For any security leaders in town, we, there is a, a CISO event. Uh, yeah, you do have to be running a security program, but there's a, an afternoon event that, that you can be a part of where you'll get to learn some interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, it should be a great time.
1: Um, and with that, I'll, I'll say there's also uh, the closing keynote on Thursday. Much like we did last year, we have a local uh, big-time professional comic who's going to be closing out the conference. Phil Palasol is going to be doing it. I've got to hear his videos. He's super. He's hilarious, and it should be a really good time. And if you're going to the conference, feel free to bring a friend, bring a loved one.
0: Uh, we, we do kind of open it up during the closing keynote for, for non-attendees. Yeah, and so Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference is May 8th through the 10th. Of course following the Rocky Mountain information security conference is Denver B-sides on the 11th and 12th yeah um, and that's a fun that's a super fun event there's yeah. always beer it's always much more laid back yep. fun, fun events
1: you know last year they did the the slideshow I don't know what you call that slideshow um, charades or, or whatever it's called uh,
0: yes people like PowerPoint karaoke
1: yeah PowerPoint karaoke yep um, so th- that's always fun stuff and, and of course there's also lots of you know hacking and, and, and owning of things going on it's a good time to, and a good way to get to meet people as and well. it's free it's it's free. Although they would love it if you would donate and help contribute to them. Yes, facility. exactly. Let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. As a reminder, we do you know we cover about ten jobs every week. They're in the show notes. We don't put them on the website um, permanently because we don't want to have to go check and see when the jobs are closed. So you can look at each week's show notes and see what we found this week, and check next week and see the new stuff. Right. Uh, first on the list, uh, there's a job for Ping Identity. Yeah. So we are we are still hiring a. Uh, a senior security analyst, looking for someone who's got, you know, some experience and some chops, really looking for someone technical who understands the underpinnings of the technology rather than saying, hey, I want you to be good at Linux and AWS. I want you to really understand how these
0: things work. And, you know, we're not looking for someone who just knows how to run a tool. Exactly. Uh, Next, uh, Pulte Financial Services. Um, I am hiring two interns this summer. So if you are a college student or someone without a job or someone who's just graduated, Want to come work with us for the summer? We'd love to have you. Uh, We also have a position
1: from Innovage, which is hiring a a vice president of security, from what I understand from Alex. This is a a retirement community, or a series of them, a group of them? Exactly. Uh,
0: TIAA is hiring a director of fraud detection. This sounded really cool because it is uh, cybersecurity fraud and other kinds of fraud as well.
1: Very cool. Brown and Caldwell is hiring a senior manager of information security.
0: Greenhouse Data is hiring a manager of information security.
1: Is Greenhouse Data a marijuana just a company? Do we know?
0: I, I don't think so. I think they're a uh, uh, a, a hosting provider. Hosting. Okay. Good enough. Um, Lockheed
1: Martin is hiring a cyber architect, senior staff, a cyber architect.
0: Yeah. So you get to architect the cybers. Uh, senior staff. You're on the senior staff, and you architect the yeah. cybers.
1: And these, by the way, these are both. Um, what do, you, what do you call those dashes? Um, oh my goodness, Hi- hyphen, hyphenated. These are all hyphenated. It's all between each of these words. It's cyber architect senior staff. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly. getting late. We're, we're having <laughs> a good night here. All right.
0: Uh, Public Service Credit Union is hiring a senior security
1: administrator. Western Union is hiring an information security engineer for their uh, security operations center. S and P Global is hiring a project manager for information security, and Akamai, one of the uh, the you know core provi- protectors of the web, is hiring a technical project manager focused on security. Exactly. Well, that takes us to the end of our, our news this week, Alex. Uh, I think what you this week you talked to
0: Zuko Wilcox, right? I did. Zuko is a really interesting character. He is the founder of Zcash. Yeah. Uh, Zcash is a cryptocurrency. So you know we were we were back uh bashing on the blockchain earlier, but yeah. um, you know, one of the interesting things about Zcash is it has some uh encryption and privacy built into it as opposed to uh some of the other uh cryptocurrencies that do not. So very interesting. You can have some more anonymity and privacy.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, and so he he was one of the founders of that. Did
1: did you guys talk at all about that podcast that he did on, on uh Radio you know, on Radio Labs.
0: Yeah he we found out about him for Radio Lab uh, podcast. Yeah. So uh it, there's a great Radio Lab podcast. You should go out and listen to it. We touched on it briefly, but I, I think in the interview, we basically said, go listen to the Radio Lab podcast. It's much better than we you yeah. can tell it here. So
1: Great I'll put, story. I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Radio Lab podcast so folks who find him interesting can go learn more.
0: It was a really interesting story.
1: Yeah, and he's a really interesting character. I had a good
0: time interviewing him. Cool.
1: Well, I think that takes us to the end of the week. Uh, RSA conference is next week. I'm going to be out there.
0: I think you're going to be not there this year, right? I will not be there this week. I get to go instead of San Francisco. I get to go to Detroit for a mortgage bankers association wow. conference. One of those is better than
1: the other, and you know it'll be up to you to figure out which. Detroit! <laughs> All right. With that, we'll call it a week, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rob. me. Right.
2: Hello. This is Sean Murray. I am a director on the International Board of Directors for ISSA, and I am a principal scientist at Northrop Grumman Corporation, working in Colorado Springs. This is Colorado Equals Security, for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals.
0: This is Alex Wood with Colorado Equal Security, and I am here today with Zuko Wilcox. Uh, Zuko, thanks for taking a couple minutes to speak with us. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you for uh, having me.
0: Yeah. Um, so you are the founder, I don't know if that's your official title, is founder yep. of, of Zcash. Right. Uh, Zcash, a, a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I wonder if we could start just by you giving a little background um, on yourself, um, you know, what you've sort of done uh, in your past and, and how it is that you came to starting a cryptocurrency.
2: Um, I've mostly done programming, engineer, like software engineering, some infosec work like uh, security auditing of the source code of other people's apps, um, implementing cryptography. Uh, a couple of science papers about cryptography and distributed networking. And then a few years ago, almost maybe, geez, I've lost track, but maybe seven, eight years ago at this point, I decided to make my own company and be the CEO so I could do everything my way. Um,
0: Everybody's dream, right? Get to be your own, <laughs> own boss?
2: Yeah. It turns out that the boss is a pretty tough taskmaster, but... <clears throat> But I really loved it, and that first company that I made is named Least Authority, and it still exists, but then later we spun off a separate project that became Zcash. Um, but that first project, Least Authority, is still in operation, and it does the commercial support for a decentralized cryptographically protected object store, like a cloud file system, like oh, nice. Amazon S3, but with cryptography.
0: So that's pretty cool. Um... So you started there doing that um, with, with blockchain for another purpose besides cryptocurrency, it sounds like.
2: It wasn't so. precisely blockchain. It depends on how broad your definition of blockchain is. Yeah. And there's a legit argument that you ought to have a fairly broad definition. Like Git, which uses secure hashes, or at least it uses SHA, which is supposed to be a secure hash, um, to link newer things to the older things from which they come that's basically a blockchain too
0: so i guess that's a good place to start right so so what's your definition of of a blockchain
2: well the important addition that satoshi added um on top of the the use of secure hash functions for immutable references so git well i mean git didn't invent it um but the notion of using secure hash functions for immutable references has been around for a long time and used in um, revision control systems, uh, like Monotone was a predecessor to Git. gets kind of a clone of Monotone. And Monotone was uh, one of the most important examples of using that secure hash function as data references. Um, also file systems have used it in the past. And then what Satoshi added was the proof of work as a way to incentivize all the players to come to consensus instead of, um, instead of advocating for their interpretation of history.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, that's, I think that's definitely an important part, right? Um, the, yeah. The, the decentralization and uh, the consensus.
2: Yeah, that's a really deep, it's it's one of those things that theoretical or even applied computer scientists firmly believed was impossible until Satoshi demonstrated it. Yeah. You know, there were even proofs that it was impossible. Um, and so whenever something like that happens, there is a proof that something's impossible, and then you find an example of it, then you get to reverse engineer what was the mistake in the proof. Right. Right. So that's that's enlightening.
0: So, you have this uh, this company that is doing what we'll call a blockchain technology, and then you decide to to start Zcash. Mm-hmm. What, what was the reasoning behind wanting to start your own cryptocurrency?
2: Well, it's actually basically my lifelong dream, really. And then um, I got the chance because a bunch of scientists, not me, had devised a cryptographic design for a privacy-preserving decentralized cryptocurrency. And then they invited me to be the sort of organizer and business leader of the project to make it practical and widely deployed. Um, So that was that was the opportunity I got when those scientists approached me. But I had always dreamed about such things um, since I was about 19 years old, in fact, when I discovered the science papers of this cryptographer named David Schaum. He, um, he invented the notion of privacy-preserving digital money. He also invented the notion of um, privacy-preserving networking, like TOR and other things. Um, that concept was invented by him originally, as well as some important concepts in basic cryptography. Um, As well, he was part of a cohort of cryptographers, along with Whit Diffie and Ron Rivest and others who, in sort of an act of civil disobedience, made cryptography into a public science instead of a secret military science in the 70s and early 80s. Well, in uh, 1993 or so, I discovered papers he had written about these things, and the Internet was pretty new to me back then, kind of new to most people. (laughs) And um, it was really heady days to imagine what the world would be like if the Internet spread all around it to most of the people in the world. And at the same time, I immediately imagined then the very next step will be we'll spread some kind of money system, some kind of financial, economic system, so that people who are newly able to communicate because of the Internet will also be able to cooperate in like sharing resources or charity or business deals with each other. Right. We'll have a global economy. And then, that never took off. And one of the, one of the attempts to make it take off way back in the day was a company founded by that same scientist, David Schaum. And I went to work for that company for two years. I dropped out of college when I was 21 years old and went to work for that company. Um, But it didn't have Satoshi's breakthrough of full decentralization with proof of work. So everything back then, everything up until Bitcoin had some kind of... Centralization that that meant there was something that could fail or there was something that people would have to trust before they'd be willing to trust this monetary system and that was also true of david chomp's company
0: and I would also imagine that meant that there would have to be some level of control by that central authority um, and, and also along with that you know you mentioned privacy and, and Zcash, one of the reasons for doing that. So, anytime you have that centralized control, you have the risk of somebody, um, you know, I- exposing privacy or, um, you know, trying to control things in, the, in a way that others don't want to do.
2: Well, some there's different kinds of control. Like exposing, g- getting access to other people's private information is a very important kind. Um, being able to change the money supply right? That's the major difference between cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Zcash and all of the current fiat currencies of the world is that there's a credible belief that nobody has the ability to change the number of Bitcoins or the number of Zcash. Um, That's a different kind of control. Uh, Then there's like access and limiting access, right? Like there's a There's this ongoing problem in the current legacy banking system, which they call de-risking. De-risking is where you're not doing anything illegal or even suspicious, but the bank needs to cut costs. And a good way to do that is to close all the accounts of people from a certain category. And that's totally legal. And not only is it legal, like this would be illegal if it were like housing or a job, but it's totally legal for a bank account. Yeah, And um, not only is it legal, but the way the current system works, it kind of f- forces the banks to do it because it's very expensive for them to deal with uh, compliance costs. And they also have compressed profit margins nowadays. So what they're doing is just selecting whole groups of businesses or users and saying, well, all of those guys are out. Um, For example, they've done this quite a lot to the porn industry in the United States, which is legal in the U.S., according to the law. Right. But it's also legal for the bank to just close all of the accounts of anyone who has ever had anything to do with the porn industry. And so that's what they've done. Um, Similarly, they pick remote countries that it's expensive for them to deal with the compliance costs, and they don't make that much money by serving like Somalia or whatever. And they just cut them off. They're like, well, the Somali people have to figure out how to deliver money to their country some other way because it's too much work for us to deal with it. So that's another form of control is being able to limit access or somebody requires your permission or they require your help before they can have access to the system. There's lots of different kinds of control in a system like this. And with Zcash, we've engineered it to minimize all the different kinds of control, including the the knowledge of other people's private data. And that's a really important kind of control that people may not have appreciated at first, but like Bitcoin is really bad in that way. Bitcoin is super great in decentralization and reducing control that someone could exercise in lots of other ways, but because it doesn't have encryption, and all of your transaction data gets dis- divulged. That makes it quite vulnerable to control by someone who just looks at the public ledger and then, like, closes your bank account or right. uh, threatens you with arrest or threatens you, you mustn't do certain kinds of things. And we're watching. We'll know if right. you do. Right.
0: Well, and I, yeah, I mean, I think a couple examples of that are, you know, the first was uh, when when. Bitcoin started to get popular. Um, everyone said, Oh, well, it's only criminals using it because they can be anonymous yeah. while using Bitcoin. Right. Um, which, of course, is not true. Um, you know, you can see right. everything that's happening. You just may not know exactly
2: who it is that's behind yeah. that particular account. Um, I remember when they said that, and it reminded me of what they said when the internet was new. Right. Nobody knows you're a dog on the internet because it's just a dotted quad address. Right. Instead of your home address, the same yeah. way they thought just because a Bitcoin is just, uh, address is just a random string instead of your home address, that makes it anonymous, but it's yeah. way harder than that to make something truly private on the internet.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I think the other example I've seen is you know, with the IRS now, they're, uh, from what I've been told, are monitoring you know, all the, the Bitcoin transactions so that they can make sure that people get charged uh, you know, taxes when they, uh, they cash stuff in.
2: Yeah. And there was a, there's a court battle going on between the IRS and Coinbase. Um, where, as I understood it, the IRS is... So they sent a subpoena or whatever, some kind of demand for records to Coinbase. And they're supposed to explain their justification for why they're demanding these records, right? And the first version of their justification was, well, uh, the records we're demanding are all of them, like all (laughs) of the users that you had during these years. And our justification is... If anybody was using Bitcoin during those years, they were probably tax evaders. Seems logical, (laughs) right? Well, (laughs) I don't know statistically, but it doesn't feel right um, right. in terms of justice. You know, there's a sort of presumption that you ought to have a better reason than because I used Bitcoin to accuse me of wrongdoing. Anyway, I don't know what's the current status of that court battle.
0: So... um, for those that aren't familiar with zcash how is it that zcash does things differently
2: Mm. well think about it like this satoshi and hal finney and the other creators of bitcoin wanted to preserve privacy in fact that was almost i think it was probably one of the top two goals of the whole Bitcoin project. Decentralization and privacy. And and the two are almost inseparable because if you don't have privacy then some central power can just dictate what you can and can't do. And so that was always what they wanted and they talked on the Bitcoin mailing list about whether they could use some kind of better cryptography to protect the information from being exposed in the blockchain. But back then that the cryptography was not well developed enough so they couldn't but since then what we what scientists came up with was more efficient zero knowledge proofs that they didn't have back in 2008 and with what a zero knowledge proof does is it it's a cryptographic proof it's like a big you know Sig- digital signature, or like a secure hash output. And it's a proof that I couldn't have come up with this digital signature unless I knew some input to a program, mm-hmm. which results in the following output. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then you, you check the, the cryptographic validity of it, and then you say, okay, I'm convinced whoever came up with this proof they must have known some input to this function such that the function's output was, such, was, was this string. And this is for a deterministic function, right? Like a, a deterministic program that will take some input, do some computation, return some output. And it always returns the same output for the same input. Okay, so with that, now that once scientists had come up with a way to generate zero-knowledge proofs efficiently enough, then um, scientists, including founders of the Zcash project, figured out how to use this to solve that problem that Satoshi and Finney couldn't solve in Bitcoin. And the, the way the reason this matters is what you need to do. The reason the bit so here's the question: Why didn't we just encrypt the transactions in the Bitcoin blockchain in the first place in 2008? Because we, you know. Satoshi already knew how encryption worked. Yep. But instead, all the transactions are publicly visible. We just use digital signatures to make sure that they're signed by the spender. And we use secure hash functions, just like Git and Monotone did, to make sure that they're correctly integrated into the history. Yep. But why didn't we also use encryption to make sure they were private? And the answer is if we had, then the miners wouldn't have been able to detect and reject uh, bogus transactions, like double spending where you already spent the money once, Mm -hmm. and now you're trying to spend it a second and third time to other people. You would just know that something happened, you
0: wouldn't know what it was.
2: And we need the miners to be able to detect and reject double spending so that the ledger is a ledger consisting of only valid transactions, so that if you receive a payment and you look in the ledger and you see your payment is in there, you know that you're the only one who got the money. So that's why Bitcoin had to have this pervasive lack of privacy is so that the miners could reject double spends basically or other invalid transactions. Okay well zero knowledge proofs are a different way to prevent double spends. So in Zcash the miners test the zero knowledge proof that comes with each transaction and each proof shows that Somebody knew a secret key that was the secret, uh, the secret key for a, for a coin. And that they used this coin to like, use it up. They've spent it. And this is the first time anyone's ever done this for this coin. Okay? So it can't have been double spent. Right. And then they gave the money to this other public key for the next use. Now, there's a zero-knowledge proof that the miner can check to make sure this transaction satisfies all those conditions, but the actual details of which coin and which address and how much it was worth, that's all cryptographically protected. So that's Zcash. It's a big, it's a big breakthrough, really.
0: That is pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, so the first time that I ran across you was through a, a Radiolab podcast mm. talking about um, what they called the ceremony. I'm not sure yeah. if you guys actually called it the ceremony or not. Yeah, that was our
2: terminology. Okay. <laughs>
0: um, so so this was essentially uh, what you guys had to do in order to, to start Zcash. You, you had to start with,
2: uh, I guess I'll call it a seed, right? Yeah, a seed. Right. Um, I kind of think of it as a public key. So, I mean, it's kind of... To speak a little bit loosely yeah it's like it's pretty much like a public key but you're not using it for encryption you're using it for generating and testing these zero knowledge proofs got it and so this is like a key generation ceremony where we want to make sure nobody is secretly um stealing the private key the corresponding private key right so that's where we named the corresponding private key, we named that the toxic waste because we had come up with this idea. This is another breakthrough. I mean, I hate to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but we've done several things which are the basically the most advanced cryptography that is, as far as I know, ever been deployed to the public at large. But one of these things we did, which was the most advanced thing ever, was the ceremony where we came up with a... A technique. Well, so there are other ceremonies. In fact, we didn't we didn't invent the term ceremony. Actually, people use the term ceremony already for other cryptographic processes, like for DNSSEC. You know, there's a oh, yeah. there's a yeah. root key that signs all the right. other keys that signs all the DNS records, and, yep.
0: and they have a whole ceremony. They, where have, they have a to ceremony. Have people, they have you know, these people from
2: around yep. the world that fly to the same room. There's video cameras. They each have a like smart card. There's an HSM you know, a hardware security module that yep. contains a private key. That is a ceremony. And I have to say, our ceremony blew that one out of the water. Our ceremony is so much better than that ceremony because, <laughs> because in the DNSX ceremony, it's pretty good, but it basically involves bringing all the secrets and all the people together at one moment and one point. Right. And there, you generate the new secret this new secret is contained inside the hardware security module. That's, that's, what, that's why you believe that no one has stolen that secret, is that you have video and you didn't see anyone like taking a screwdriver to the hardware security module right. or whatever. But our ceremony is way better than that because there was no moment at which the secret existed. So we renamed it to be the toxic waste, and we said there's going to be six precursor chemicals, each of which is harmless, and the only way the toxic waste would ever come into existence, even for one millisecond, would be if all six of them came together at the same time. So now we're going to do this process to that's sort of like the DNS ceremony, but there's like six separate ones, uh, and each one is going to use its precursor and then destroy its precursor before it ever has a chance to come into contact with the other five precursors.
0: Yeah, and you're doing this all distributed, right? So in, yep. in the DNS, cere- DNS sec ceremony, they're all in one place. For, for your ceremony, anyone can be anywhere right. as long as they can perform the operations that need to be performed.
2: That's right. And we, we tried hard to use OPSEC procedures, right? So that if there were, so I figured no one, there were no attackers who even knew about the Zcash project's existence. <laughs> right. I mean, the Zcash project was a publicly known thing, but I figured the only people who'd ever heard about it were cryptocurrency geeks, you know, who were fellow fellow hackers, open source enthusiasts, Bitcoiners. Um, So I just figured no thieves or saboteurs or enemy governments or anybody would even know about or care about this whole thing. But nonetheless, just to be extra safe, we'll have a level of OPSEC around it where... There were six participants, and three of them were unknown even to the other participants. They were known only to me, and they went by pseudonyms during the process. And each of the six participants had a different um, process to avoid being backdoored and to have monitoring and detection so that if anyone were to try any attack, each of the, diff- the six different stations would have a different sort of levels of detection and defense, right? Well, <laughs> like I say, we really went overboard on this level of security. So, <laughs> so then we performed the process, which was more than 24 hours of terror plus boredom, <laughs> right? <laughs> For my, I was one of the six. I was one of the six uh, human operators of right. the stations. Our station was called Denver Station. We, um, we got together with a film crew who was going to make like unbroken video to prove that nobody took a screwdriver to it mm-hmm. at any point when we looked away. <laughs> um, and a journalist that we invited to come serve as like an independent observer to testify that she didn't notice us doing anything right. squirrely. Um, So we got the whole crew together, the film crew, the journalist, and me, and we got in a van, and we we turned off all of our cell phones in case somebody was like listening or tracking us with GPS or whatever, and we got this big paper map, (laughs) and we walked into the nearest coffee shop, and we were like, "Uh, hey man, could you look up the nearest computer store? (laughs) And he was like, what is this, a scavenger hunt? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> he was like, okay, I'll Google computer store. And he gave us the address and then we were like looking up the address. You remember how with paper maps there's like an index where you can look up the roads right. and the grid?
0: Anyway, so we <laughs> Isn't we... it funny how soon we forget that stuff? I know.
2: Right? <laughs> it's like, oh I remember why this took so long. Anyway, so we eventually figured out how to drive to the computer store with all of our cell phones turned off. Um We went in there with cameras, like, hidden under our coats so that the computer store wouldn't be freaked out by the cameras. And we we walked around and we said to the salesman, "Okay, we want one of these. And he says, "Okay, well, there's two boxes here. You can have this one. And we said, no, 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 we want the other one, not the one you were going to give us. And he was like, "Okay, man, you can have the other one. (laughs) So this this is our paranoia. Now we've defeated the supply chain attack, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody even if they, like, planted a spy acting as the salesman in that store that day, would have been able to give us a backdoored computer. That's our hope. And at the same moment, around the world in five other places, five other people are doing the same thing. They're going into random stores and demanding a specific computer and walking out with it. So once we bought the computer, I was married to that thing, and I like carried it around in my arms and didn't let it out of my sight or my like physical contact for like 24 hours. Or well, it ended up being 48 because that was like day one, buying the computer, and then driving around and finding a hotel that had good internet. At this, we basically failed. We couldn't find a hotel that had good internet. We went from hotel to hotel. It's a tough task. <laughs> and we finally like, oh fuck, we'll just use this one. Um, so we were stuck in a hotel with bad internet. And um, and the next day, and I slept with the computer like under my arm, uh, and the next day we set up, the next day was like Saturday, I think, Saturday morning, we set up continuous video cameras, and we had, we had actually, this was fun, but I'm never going to do this again because it was way too stressful. We had weeks earlier secretly gone to a... Um, Security hardware store in Denver, you know, like that sells alarm systems right. and stuff and we had found the only Multi-camera video camera system that doesn't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> it doesn't plug into the internet, right? Um, True, you know closed it, circuit. It right. was old. It was like, you know used many years old <clears throat> So we bought that thing for like eight hundred dollars <throat> Because I didn't you know We're we're overdoing it on the paranoia here. I don't want to have to wonder if someone hacked the video cameras in addition to everything else that we've got going. So we have have this non-internet enabled, continuous video cameras and we, we tape them to the walls or set them on tripods or whatever in the hotel room that we're in so that they're pointing at each other so we have a continuous recording showing that no ninjas slunk in and tampered with one camera and then tampered with the other camera because they're recording each other. And then I slept under that thing (laughs) that night under continuous video surveillance. Um, And then we set up what's called the compute node. The compute node is the thing that I bought from the store and then didn't let out of my sight. So then we open it up and we don't turn it on. Instead, we unscrew the case and we take out the radios, like the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi chips come out, and the hard drive comes out. So now, it can't boot except from DVD media. and Because we have this pre-built, append-only DVD. And this is another layer of security or monitoring here, is if any attacker was surreptitiously back during the whole process and they had inserted a backdoor into the software that we were going to run during the ceremony, well, that software got burned onto this append-only DVD. That's the only way you can boot the computer, is from that append-only DVD. And so then we have evidence, ex post facto, that we can study the laser image on the DVD in order to determine if we think there's a backdoor in there. (laughs) Where was I? So then we've got this air gapped machine, the compute node, that's um, never been plugged into the internet in its entire life. It was bought at random off the shelf, so we don't think the CIA or whoever inserted a backdoor into it. North
0: Korean government or you
2: know. Yeah, right. So yeah, again, back then, I really did not believe that any attacker would even try to attack this process. Yeah. Much less, I figured any attacker would be completely stymied by like the any one of the layers of defense. Like the six part thing where there's six different stations, okay, they're already going to give up right there. They have no idea what's going on. Or the fact that the computer's air gapped, okay, that already means they cannot just pop the computer using their remote exploit. So that already just basically ends the whole arsenal of any random attacker. So that was what we were thinking. But why not? We get overboard with the the append-only DVDs and... um, then we started doing the actual key generation process where each of the 6 computers in turn generates random numbers produces a, like a shard of the resulting public key and then deletes their random numbers out of out of memory. And that's the part that took like more than 24 hours by itself. That was exhausting. Because this is the like this is the critical moment once we've I didn't explain this part yet, but it was a multi-round protocol, okay? So you have to generate your random number, which is the precursor. It's the the, the, the sensitive information that you must ensure that no attacker gets access to it, right. and you must ensure that it was generated truly randomly so that no attacker could have guessed it or forced it to go to a certain answer, right? That's the sensitive bit, the precursor. You've got to generate that in your air-gapped machine. Then you've got to generate... a sh- some public key material. Then you've got to transport that public key material across the air gap to the other five stations in turn, and then it comes back to you and you have to do another round, another computation using your same precursor. So during that period, that 27 watt hour period, that's when we had to have maximum vigilance on the machine because it had the secret in it and if anybody were able to compromise the machine during that 27-hour period, they could get the secret out. Right. So that's the part that I'm never going to do again. Um, I did sleep, but only because I had these continuous cameras on me and on the computer while I slept.
0: <laughs> and I, I think we, we sort of talked about it, but I think we buried the lead a little bit in that the reason that you had to do that, this is because that, that secret that you're generating, if someone has it, then they can essentially counterfeit Zcash.
2: Exactly. So, yeah. This is the terrible thing. This is the, the 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 scary scenario. Is if anyone got all six of the shard, of the precursors, they can mix them together to form the toxic waste secret, and what you can do with that. Well, it's a really important that you cannot violate anyone's privacy with it. We've, I've always got to hammer that home because people easily get confused, and. It's kind of ironic because the whole point of our design is to make the privacy completely mathematically guaranteed. That's where the zero-knowledge proofs allow... Uh, how do I put this? Remember how zero-knowledge proofs prove the correctness, right. right? Once you have this proof of the correctness, now you can use the strongest mathematical technique to guarantee the privacy. And the zero in zero-knowledge proof means that it leaks nothing about your privacy. Um, It it leaks zero knowledge about the private inputs to to the verifier. So the whole point of this system is that it's the strongest way that science currently knows to guarantee privacy in this kind of mathematical structure. And the unfortunate trade-off is that therefore you risk counterfeiting. Okay, so it really annoys me when people sloppily or mistakenly think that the toxic waste is a threat to people's privacy. It's the opposite. They're, the The mathematics guarantees the privacy, and in order to achieve that, we had to suffer the risk of the toxic waste violating the counterfeiting. Yeah. But anyway, that's why we went to all that effort is to make is to not only not only to make sure that nobody got the toxic waste, but also to provide evidence that we could then offer to other people. So why they should have confidence in that, right? right? Because other people need to decide if they think it's safe enough that um, they can hold Zcash, um, whether they think there's a risk that the toxic waste has been secretly stolen and then Zcash could be counterfeited. If that happened, then the price of Zcash would go down, right? Once the counterfeiter started using his counterfeit coins. Um, So, therefore, we wanted to... That's why we went to all the effort of documenting it with the videographers and the journalists. Each of the other participants also documented their own with various, like, narrative storytelling, photographs, independent witnesses, test. you know, like a testimony, like. I did the following things um, in order to let people have evidence of what had occurred. Um, so, should I go into the bizarre part?
0: Well, so I, I, I'd say <laughs> if people want the um, you know the, the part that you're alluding to there, I'd say go listen to that Radiolab podcast. Yeah,
2: there's a great it, story by it, Radiolab the, about then what stuff, went and, wrong, and that one
0: was an especially, especially great episode, so yeah. uh, go check that one out. I don't remember the episode number, but it is called The Ceremony. That's right. It, it's very easy to find and, and a great story. Um, it, it was funny, I actually, uh, switching gears slightly, I heard this week uh, about a a Telegram vulnerability, Telegram, the, the messaging application, hmm. and one of the things that they were using, using the vulnerability to was to install miners on people's computers. Hmm. And one of the miners that they were installing was a Zcash miner.
2: Really, I did not hear this story yet. Um,
0: and so, uh, and while it's an interesting story, that the question that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, what do you? How? What's your feeling about how Zcash is used? Uh-huh. Right. So, uh, you've done a great job of implementing privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you eliminate some of the the shortcomings of bitcoin Mm -hmm. but then now you have the ability um to be more private in how you use it so you know you may attract more criminal elements or Mm -hmm. you know other things like that that are that are using zcash is that something that you're concerned with um you know yeah um
2: I'm really concerned about it because there's a there's a mistaken narrative that could people could fall into, especially journalists and regulators and people who aren't like deep tech people. Yeah. Um, might they already did this with Bitcoin and then they somehow got past it? And I don't want them to do the same thing with Zcash. Is associating it with crime? Because for a long time Bitcoin was just. Right. It's it just been events. crime yeah to, to, to yeah. like to, to we techies and like early adopters we were like no 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 it's not about crime it's about global financial independence and fairness and openness and all these right. other values but to a lot of people who didn't have that perspective and that background for several years the only thing they knew about it was it was like criminal money right, right. and then Eventually it grew out of that to where those people found out there were other purposes and other consequences of the technology um, and other users than criminals. Now so far Zcash has actually been a lot luckier than that in this sense because criminals have not adopted Zcash very much. Like your story about someone installing a Zcash miner on other people's computers illicitly, that's new to me, and it's one of the rare examples of criminals using Zcash for anything so far. There are a couple, um, but not very many. Like I mean obviously criminals use the fiat money system more than anything, but 99.8% of all criminal activity is done with normal old bank accounts and dollar bills and everything like that, but out of the 0.2 or whatever percent that's done with new technology, almost all that's still Bitcoin. Um, I actually read a report on this recently where um, some investigators they kind of surveyed the dark markets, but they did two methods which I appreciated. First, they like read all the chatter, all the web forums where the dark market users were advocating for what kinds of cryptocurrencies they thought should be used. Yeah. But then second, they actually went and studied the listings of who was actually offering to buy and sell stuff in what currencies and compared that to the chatter. Um, and Zcash doesn't appear in the results. Uh, rather to my surprise, the, I think the... Well rather, not, not to my surprise, the current most common used cryptocurrency for dark markets is still Bitcoin. But it's rapidly falling. Yeah. Um, I don't know if those users realize how dangerous it is for them to use Bitcoin um, because of its pervasive lack of privacy. Or if they're just demanding it because the transaction fees skyrocketed for a while. Yeah. Uh, but they're switching to Ethereum, Litecoin, Monero, and Dash. So do you think that there's a
0: reason why they haven't moved to Zcash yet? Is it just... Uh, That's a good question. Knowledge? Uh, is it coincidence? Question.
2: I I don't know. Part of it might be like branding, you know? Like we, we have always... Worked hard to point to the law abiding use cases for Zcash. Like a lot of nonprofits accept donations in Zcash. Yeah. And they're like, you know, legit nonprofits. They're not like counterculture <laughs> underground things. They're, right. they're like just donors like their privacy and nonprofits like to accept donations when they can. And so a lot of them accept Zcash. Um, and we made this partnership with JP Morgan, which is the most valued bank in the world according to the stock markets and probably one of the most hated institutions in the world according to Bitcoiners <laughs> yep. and um, and we emphasized all along that privacy is necessary not only for civil liberties and free political decisions and political discussion um, and human like human dignity and making moral choices, because when you are alone with yourself, that's when you can really choose what you believe is right and choose to live with it. Um, But we've we've always argued, not only is privacy important for these well-understood social and human rights reasons, but it's also necessary for commerce. So that's why we made that deal with JP Morgan is so we can point to them as an example of a completely boring, non-revolutionary, profit oriented enterprise that just needs encryption so that they can do their business successfully and make money.
0: So, so what does that partnership look like? What are they?
2: They're uh, not using Zcash, the actual cryptocurrency. That okay. partnership is just that they're using the technology to add that encryption based privacy to their enterprise blockchain. Got it. But that that satisfies that satisfies the example of demonstrating that privacy is necessary for business. Anyway, you're asking why don't criminals use Zcash more? Yeah. And I don't know, uh, maybe better marketing and better buzz for the others that I mentioned. Um, but also because we've always branded Zcash as like the Family-friendly, business-oriented, mainstream kind of privacy. So maybe that seems reasonable. Maybe that caused them yeah. to be less, to yeah. hear about yeah. it less often, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. So uh,
0: I have also heard recently about um, attempts by by governments to, to more to try and regulate mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. Either you know. You know, outlawing them altogether yep. in a country, or uh, you know, some less stringent measures. Oh yeah. What's your thought about the sort of the re- government regulation aspect?
2: Oh, um, it's really interesting how the different governments of the world are diverging in their approach, They're doing very different things. Like, um, like China's one of the most important markets for cryptocurrencies. It was the one of the, the biggest sources both of money, of people putting money into the different cryptocurrencies and tokens, and also of technological innovation in the whole scene um, for years. And then the government of China is now trying to ban cryptocurrencies entirely from the country. Um, so that's a pretty extreme and it'll be interesting. It's a pretty extreme position and it's interesting, it'll be interesting to see what, how this, what happens. <laughs> like, first of all, if they're successful in stamping it out um, or how successful they are or what kind of sort of, if it evolves within their borders in response to that pressure. But also if they like, if they observe the other governments that are instead trying to integrate it and promote it, Right. And if they start thinking, oh wait, maybe our our competitors are profiting and benefiting um, by doing the opposite of what we did, then they might. that would be interesting to see if they reconsider. But the U.S. is actually right now one of the best. Um, hmm. Rather to my surprise, actually, uh, no offense to any U.S. government regulators that are listening, but I really did not expect them to be as open-minded and. Um, Balanced in their approach as they are in fact, but they spent years and years learning about the technology including um, Me and the other members of the Zcash team flying around to United States regulators in Washington DC and New York and Just teaching like (laughs) giving lectures about the technology because you know um, Knowledge is the number one antidote to fear right? Right as soon as you think it makes sense and you can understand how it works you immediately become a lot less anxious about a thing. Um, yeah, so the United States, uh, there's, it's not perfect, but it seems to be heading in the right direction in terms of regulation. Yeah, um, Like the current leading, regu- like there's one thing that's bad about the United States system is that there are a big patchwork of regulators who have authority over different parts. Um, And sometimes there's multiple regulators who have authority over the same part. Like if you want to do a money transmission business in the United States, you literally have 50 or 53 different regulators, and you have to get a prior approval from all of them before you can start your business. Literally, that's like the way it works. (laughs) Uh, um, And also with, with a new weird thing, you know, Bitcoin and Zcash are like, it's like the blind man and the elephant where no one can quite agree on what it is in the first place. Right. So, right. so some regulators say, Oh, this is a commodity and others say, this is a currency and others say, this is, uh, the money. abomination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that's the problem with the United States is it's such a complicated system of who's responsible for what. However, in fact, all of the regulators who are responsible for, regulating cryptocurrency in the United States have done a pretty reasonable job. Um, The worst is the IRS, which made a totally reasonable-sounding decision, but it completely screws everything up, which is that they said, we're going to tax cryptocurrencies like property, which means if you write a computer program for someone and like a piecework job or or a a contracting job. And they send you like $5,000 worth of Bitcoin in payment for that. And then you go online and you buy like a cool t-shirt and you send them like $15 worth of Bitcoin for the t-shirt. Now, since we're treating it like property, this is as if you like bought a chunk of land for for $5,000 and then you sold a little slice of it for $15 to someone else. You have to calculate the difference in the current market value of the thing at the day you bought it versus the day you sold it and like subtract the difference and then pay us taxes on the difference which i can see how that would kind of make sense from some perspectives but it is completely the opposite of making it usable as currency right
0: it makes you happy if you're a tax preparer (laughs) Uh, but that's about it
2: (laughs) so that's like an example of a reasonably well intentioned but completely terrible Rule in the United States system, but most of the other rules are even much better than that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, on your point about the uh, the blind man and the elephant, you know, on blockchain more generally, I'm starting to see, you know, everybody and their mother starting to pop up with, um, oh, hey, we're a company that's going to do blockchain for X, where you know, mm. for for medical, for uh, for cybersecurity, for this, for that. Um, it, you know, my day job is uh, in the, the mortgage industry mm. and there's all kinds of talk about how blockchain yeah. is gonna solve every possible problem in the mortgage industry. Uh, what's your thoughts on that in general and, and how, how likely it is that blockchain will, uh, will take off and help in some of these areas or maybe even hurt in some of these areas?
2: That's a really good question. You know, my main, so I agree with you, there's a lot of that and with your implicit skepticism (laughs) that it hasn't really been proven out yet. So I'm becoming a little bit discouraged because it's been, I guess, almost three years since that hype started. Yeah. And so that's basically long enough that you ought to be delivering something. um, Like by now, people, you ought to have some customers who are like saving a ton of money every month and then your other customers ought to be saying whoa look at them saving all that money I'm gonna do some of that and I'm gonna save that money and then this should be really like taking off and it's not Um, so the question is why not is this just all a bad idea that never made sense in the first place is there some like level of completion of the product that we need before we can get to that stage of more and more value it could be the privacy is the answer. Yeah, I've heard that from the financial industry. I haven't really talked to the like healthcare and mortgage and other industries. I don't know what their current story is about whether that's a blocker or what their solution is to it. Um, that's why J.P. Morgan partnered with us, is that the financial industry, and we're talking like more than a year ago when we started that project. Um, the financial industry at that time was sort of having a dawning realization that the blockchain projects they had embarked upon were all facing a showstopper of the privacy, the private information about the data leaking to unauthorized parties who are users of the blockchain. So that was why we did that with JP Morgan was say oh well we'll solve that blocker and then see if now this leads to real business traction I haven't seen it yet. So, yeah. um, we're, we're continuing to work with JP Morgan to improve their enterprise blockchain, which is called Quorum. Um, it now has this encryption feature, it has smart contracts, it's open source, so anyone can use it for anything. Um, so, we're doing another round of grinding. You know, in, in the entrepreneurship world, there's the pivot and then there's the grind, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, And these are two things that you, two different alternatives you might take when your current attempt doesn't really seem to be working. Um, So I guess, you know, for us, for the Zcash company, we've been working on the Zcash open currency and that's totally working super well. So we're just, more and more resources and ambition is pouring into improving Zcash. But with our enterprise arm and our partnership with J.P. Morgan, what we're currently doing is grinding. We're going to keep making that product better and better, and just more efficient and have more flexibility and such, and then see if it does meet someone's business use case and it takes off.
0: Nice. That sounds pretty cool. Um, So uh, I feel like we've still barely scratched the surface but we're already coming up on an hour. Mm. Um, So I think um, I'll probably start wrapping this up. But if somebody wants to know more about Zcash, get involved in Zcash, maybe even just cryptocurrency in general, uh, any resources that you would point folks to?
2: The Zcash website, which has got a great domain name, it's z.cash.
0: Nice. I didn't realize that there was a dot cache
2: subdomain. Yep. Me neither.
0: Top level domain, I mean.
2: Yeah, me neither until until I found somebody offered me Z dot That's awesome. Um there is also the Zcash Foundation. Okay. Its domain name is Z.cache.foundation. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know there was a dot foundation either, did you? <laughs> I, I did
0: that one at least I think makes more sense, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. But but yeah. Um, the Zcash Foundation is the first ever public charity devoted to improving the public good with cryptocurrencies.
0: Oh, That's awesome.
2: Um, so That's a good resource for like science basically at this point. They're, they're a bunch of scientists and educators and so they're definitely a good place to look too. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks Zuko. I appreciate the conversation. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, thank you. We'll, we'll have to do it again and and keep uh, exploring down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, this has been Alex Wood with Colorado Equal Security, and we will talk yeah. to you all next time. Bye-bye. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.